Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. The title of our lesson this morning is Eyes on the Prize. Our family theme is Knowing Christ. Our objective is to seek to know Christ better as we wait with eagerness for His return. Uh, Let me ask a question this morning. How many here have been a Christian more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay, how about more than 15 years? Okay, I don't know how far we're going to go with it. How about more than 20 years? Okay, all right. Uh, we'll stop there. How about that? All right. Now, my question is, uh, we had several who raised their hand more than 20 years. I've been a Christian more than 30 years. Some of you may as well have been. Uh, have you stopped growing spiritually? What did you say, Dan? Come on now, Dan. I know you've, I've known you for a long time. And you've been saved a long time. Why you say no? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think. Amen. Amen. And the thing is, we always continue to grow. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, by the time he wrote this letter, uh, he'd been saved at least 30 years. And yet he said he still hadn't apprehended what God had apprehended him for. He was still reaching. And we have to continue to reach for that goal. We'll speak more to that uh, a little bit later on. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, so you can turn there. We've got three key truths. Number one, that we put no confidence in our own righteousness. Key truth number two is we press on to know Christ deeply and experience everything that God has for us. And our third key point is to follow uh, godly examples looking forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our Bible basics this morning, uh, we're encouraged to memorize uh, the names and order of the books, uh, book number 18 through 22 in the New Testament. And I'm going to give you a hint. Number 18 is Philemon, okay? We'll start there. What's next? Hebrews, then what? James, First Peter, and Second Peter. Okay, you did good. Now, by the way, do you know how God makes he makes his coffee? He brews it. Yeah. Early in the morning, folks. Come on. I, by the way, you'll understand better when I tell you I heard it from another preacher. Okay, some months ago at, a, at his birthday party. But nonetheless, that those are those books in order. So, how does today's lesson fit in the overall scope of God's word? Well, again, this is one of Paul's prison epistles, written around A.D. 62. And today in our, in our text, we're going to look at what Paul shows, the value of pressing on toward the mark of the high calling we have in Christ Jesus. And I'll get started this morning. Uh, one thing they did for me today in our study guide, in our teacher guide, they provided a true story for me to share, just a short story. And uh, it's about a young man who had a, a very bright future uh, in his life, ahead of him in his life, as a football quarterback. He had several scholarships from different top college football programs in the country. Now, I have no idea who this guy's name was. They didn't give that, but it is a true story. Yet this young man valued his relationship with Jesus Christ more important than the scholarships and the future money he could make as a football player. 
So in spite of his talents, in spite of his skills, he turned down all of those scholarship offers and enrolled in a Bible college and prepared for himself to serve Christ in a ministry. Now, I, to me, that's kind of amazing. I have no idea. It's, it's a, I know it's a true story. It's all I know about it. don't know who it was. But here was a young man who decided early on that in spite of all of his talents and his skills, even the offers of a full ride, some of the top college programs in America, he turned that down in order to go to Bible college to pursue a ministry in Jesus Christ. Now, without even, and, and, we, and I don't know the young man's name, as I said, what does that tell us about that young man? Oh, you put God first, yeah. Okay. Brendan, I didn't know that about your dad. I knew your dad, but I certainly didn't know that about him. Again, he... Now, by the way, when do you think he made that decision? Yeah. 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 You know what's, what's neat about that, Dan, and I think we'll agree... Those kind of decisions, you don't wait till that day to make them. You make them early on in life. Here's what you know what I'm going to do. And so we admire people like that. Now, Dan, I've got to tell you something, okay? If I was from, if I was unsaved, I said, "What, Brenda? Your dad was sure foolish." Isn't that what the world says? Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would this young man give up all these scholarships, folks? There's something more than life than making money, and that's being right with God. And and by the way. I think we have to honor our convictions as well. So today we're going to find a man by the name of the Apostle Paul who gave up everything that he thought one time was very valuable, but he found something worth a lot more than what he thought he thought was valuable, and that was his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever filled out a resume? Anybody? What do you tell about in there? Okay, would we have a, t- a tendency to exaggerate sometimes? He what? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's amazing to me, of course, when I first started driving, uh, you didn't pump your own gas. I remember those days, and uh, the people that would pump gas. And it amazed me, I remember we had a young man in our church years ago, and they were still pumping gas, and he got a job at a filling station. And he, he wasn't a, a, a gas pumper. He was a some kind of a fuel handler. Made it sound better, you know, whatever, a tech, or a fuel technician, whatever it might be, okay? And so, so when we do resumes, sometimes we put fancy words in there to make it sound better than it really is. Well, I think when it comes to Christian resumes, other than Jesus Christ, nobody can match Paul's. Isn't that true? 
And there wasn't one bit of exaggeration. In fact, every time Paul even mentioned, and I use that word resume, he would really rather not. Isn't that true? Uh, and today we're going to find out the only reason he mentions it, because he wants people to realize what he thought was valuable before Christ has no value at all. So let's pick it up in chapter 3 of Philippians. The first key truth is this. Believers should put no confidence in our own righteousness. Let's read the first seven verses, Philippians 3. All right, thank you, Dan, for reading that. It's interesting. How many know when you, a preacher says, finally, he doesn't really mean it? Now, by the way, just to make sure we understand, and I didn't realize this until some time ago, uh, when I did a word study, the word finally uh, in the Greek could also mean furthermore. But either way, it's not saying I'm done. It's a transitional verse uh, moving on to a very important topic. And Paul uses this transition transitioning verse, if you will, uh, to emphasize again the importance of rejoicing in the Lord. Now, remember, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. And that's one of the few places we would think about rejoicing. But this tiny letter, I think it's at least 12 times, uh, I I didn't count them this week, but at least 12 times or so in that area, that Paul mentions joy or rejoicing. Now, remember, he's writing to the church at Philippi, a church that he helped to found, to start, and people who love Paul. And so, from their perspective, what, what might have been their attitude uh, when, they were, when they learned that Paul was in prison? What, how could it affect them? Say it again. Disbelief. Uh, they couldn't believe that Paul, but now they know he is. Do you think it might brought grief to them? It might brought sadness. And Paul's reminding them, again, how important it is to rejoice. So he says, it's not a burden to me to remind you, but it's safe for you. Now, folks, please understand something. As a child of God, no matter what we face in life, if we consider who we are and what we have through Jesus Christ, wouldn't you agree we have reason to rejoice? Isn't that true? That's what Paul is expressing to these believers here at Philippi. And Paul realized that rejoicing is really a safeguard, if you will, for our faith. Because, by the way, what does Satan want us to do? 
Does he want us to rejoice? No, he wants to bring us down. He wants to discourage us. And Paul says rejoicing is a safeguard for your faith. And joy ought to be a natural byproduct of our of our personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, and, and by the way, Paul says, so it doesn't, doesn't bother me to remind you of this over and over and over again. Now, by the way, I hope you know by now as you read Paul's writings, he wasn't out necessarily to influence people and win friends. He was out to preach the Word of God. He was concerned about their spiritual walk in victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul takes some time to warn the believers at Philippi. In fact, he warns them three times to watch out for people who put their confidence in themselves, their confidence in their flesh or their own works. Now, Paul understood that was nothing more than being self-righteous. So I have a question. What would Paul know about being self-righteous? Amen. If if there was a class on self-righteousness, there was a time in Paul's life, he was number one in that class. Was he not? Sure he was. So he knew exactly what it was like. He knew how you could boast and pride yourself on what I have done. Look what I'm doing now or whatever the case might be. So not only had he experienced, known the experiences, he practiced it. A lot of years in his life. So Paul knew all about that. But it's interesting. Paul says, beware of those dogs. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. And you're right, Dan. In fact, scholars picture this as, a, a prowling dog, if you will, in a way, sneaking into congregations trying to drag people away, drag them back into self-righteousness. Now, if you were a Jew and somebody called you a dog, guess what? What did you say, Dan? There's fighting words, right? But he calls them dogs. How many friends did Paul win with that one, I wonder, huh? But he's simply speaking... Uh, the truth, a very derogatory term, and a lot of times the Jews would use it when they spoke about Gentile people. So, again, uh, Paul knew their strategy. He understood uh, you've got, you got to be aware. It means to be constantly on your guard uh, because they're coming at you all the time. So always be aware and, and understand that these were Judaizers who were working against the gospel of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. But not only did he call them dogs, he called them of the concision. That Greek word for concision, it, it simply means to mutilate. And the idea is a false circumcision. Now, so what was going on was, uh, they were teaching that in order to be a Christian, you had to become a Jew first, and to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. So they were literally mutilating uh, the flesh. Now, the problem was, Paul says, 
They're of the concision. They're the false circumcision. Now, I need to ask a question here. Do you think Paul was circumcised? Sure he was. He was a Hebrew. But what Paul realized, he said that was just a physical thing. So he tells them in, 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 chapter, in verse 3, he says, we, that includes himself and the church he's writing to, he says, we are the true circumcision. We are the ones who have really had our heart circumcised by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ because of our faith in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, we're the, of the true circumcision because we're not putting our trust in ourselves we're not putting our trust in the flesh. We are putting our trust in who? In Jesus Christ. We're relying on Him. So, Paul is condemning those who trusted in their flesh for salvation. And, you know, here was a, a, a group of people, these Judaizers. Uh, they were trying to infiltrate the church, trying to drag people back into the law, into a... a, a Slavery of the law, if you will. And, and Paul understood the things they were teaching. And so here were some, a group of Judaizers who said, look how good I am. Here's my list. Or here's my resume. Okay? So Paul says, let me show you mine. You think they've got something to brag about. You think they've got a list that they can be proud of. Paul says, let me give you my list. Now, keep in mind, Paul lists about seven things in verses 5 and 6 that he could have bragged about if he was going to rely upon his own righteousness. But we know he's not going to do that. But he just want to share, hey, if you think they've got something to boast about, here's what I could if I wanted to. Now, first of all, uh, remember, if you're a Judaizer, it was important whether or not you've been circumcised. So, again, we know that Paul was circumcised. But you know what's interesting? Paul says, not only am I circumcised, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What does that mean? Amen. That's, that was prescribed by the law, okay? Well, actually, before that, even back uh, in, in Abraham's day, back in Genesis, that was prescribed by God on the eighth day. Now, there, is, there are no doubt, and we know that even in the New Testament, uh, Paul at one time did have Timothy circumcised just to help keep trouble down, not to, to declare his salvation genuine or not. But Timothy certainly wouldn't have been circumcised on the eighth day. And there were probably a lot of Judaizers who had just been circumcised whenever it might have been. But Paul, I want you to know, not only was I circumcised, I was circumcised to God's precepts way back in Genesis chapter 17. So Paul says, I'm not a proselyte from another religion, okay, uh, or another people. And, and by the way, any Jew would be proud of that. But he goes on to say that I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What does that mean? Amen. Now, the, the, the implication is my mommy was a Jew, 
and my daddy was a Jew. No mixed marriage here. I didn't come from another nation, another people group. Both of my parents are true, were true Jews. But he also tells them what tribe he was from. What tribe was he from? Tribe of Benjamin. Anybody know who Benjamin was? Say it again. One more time, please. Of who? And who else? Who? Yeah. I forgot myself why I should make sure here. But again, the favored wife and her son, the younger son of the favored wife. Isn't that true? And so very, uh, 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 the smallest tribe, but yet the, one of the higher honored tribes in the nation of Israel. And by the way, do you remember where uh, Israel's first king came from what tribe? Benjamin. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul said, okay, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, not just only am I a son of the Hebrew parents, but what did Paul know about the Hebrew law? Everything. He did. I mean, he studied the law, he studied the culture, he studied the language. So not only was he a Hebrew, he was a Pharisee. Who were the Pharisees? Say it again. Okay. Not necessarily the rich ones, but the smart ones according to the law. And they were really the strictest sect among the Jews. And Paul says, I was a devout Pharisee. Now, okay, now we've come a little way to this resume. How's it look from a human standpoint? Pretty good, right? I mean, come on, you're not going to beat that. All right, so he looks good uh, so far. So, <laughs> all right, now, okay, Paul, we got the basics here. What about your zeal? How, how zealous were you for the Jews? What do you say? I persecuted the church. And, and Jordan, why did he do that? Absolutely. He, he, now, again, I'm not giving an excuse for Paul, but wouldn't you agree with me, Jordan, or not? Now, you can disagree, all right? But I believe that Paul thought he was doing the right thing. I mean, he was defending the Hebrew faith, if you will. So he was zealous to the degree he was willing to persecute the Christians, if you will. So, no doubt about that. So a devout Pharisee, he uh, persecuted early believers, and <laughs> when he came to keeping the law, how did Paul describe himself? He was, say it again? He was blameless. What does that mean? Amen. And, and Wayne, I can't say for sure, but using your illustration, I think he crossed every T and he dotted every I. He followed it to its fullest extent. So, in his resume, if, we, if we're interviewing him, we read his resume, and Paul's sitting across the desk, and we say, Paul, is there anything you're ashamed of? What would he have said? No. I fulfilled all of that. 
But I'll never get over what I read next. In spite of all of these qualities that Paul had in his life, all these reasons that he had to brag on himself, Paul said, everything that I considered gain was what? It was dung. It was loss. It had no value at all. Because Paul came to a point in his life when he realized that all of those things that he thought were good were nothing more than a false basis for spiritual confidence. So Paul says, all of these things that I thought were good and valuable, Paul says, every one of those were useless and they were unimportant when it comes to having a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with my Heavenly Father. Paul said everything was useless. Now, help me out here a little bit, okay? So if we were a Pharisee and we were grading Paul on his resume, what grade would we give him? A plus, A plus, 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 whatever, right? And we would think, Paul, if anybody is going to attain righteousness, you've done it. You have covered all the bases. But you know what Paul realized? He wasn't any more righteous now that he'd done all of that than when he began. And what that tells us is this. The reason we should not put confidence in our own works is a clear indication that we cannot save ourselves. And because we cannot save ourselves, what do we need? Yeah, we need a Savior. And His name is Christ Jesus. Let's apply it. We need to put every bit of our confidence in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness he gives us and put no confidence in our own self-righteousness. So let's kind of do a little question today, all right? What are some of the ways uh, how people today try to depend on their own righteous works to be right with God? What do they try? You do what now? Yeah, but that don't get you heaven, does it? No. There's nothing wrong with foundations. But when you're doing this for the wrong reason, you've got to get somebody else says something. Cheryl? Okay, give money. All right. Oh, wow, being baptized. Now, Jordan, is baptism important? Sure it is. But it, does it save you? No, it does not. Um, to gain their own righteousness, sure. Not much of the Pharisees did. Different ways they did it, but that was the same goal. Um, a lot of the Catholics do the same thing. Uh, a friend of my mother's, when she... Uh, when she got older, she decided, hey, if she's going to be right with God, uh, she has to go to church every day. 
and she goes to Mass every morning. Uh, unless I guess unless she's sick. But does that earn you right with God? No. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but you know, if you're just going to worship, that's fine. But they, there are many that believe the more you do, the better you are. But the problem is, well, let me ask you this question. I think you already know the answer to this one. How does God describe our own righteousness as what? Filthy rags, right? Filthy rags. You're just talking about micro, micro though. Or are you talking about, all right, Alan? No, who's it talking about? All of us, right? That's all of us in that group. Yes. No, you don't. Amen. That's right, brother. Exactly right. Isn't that what Jesus told Nicodemus? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and again, so religion can't save you. Denomination cannot save you. Now, by the way, I, I, the reason I'm a free will Baptist, I, as I look at the Scriptures, I believe that uh, we hold probably the closest to what the Scripture teaches in doctrine. Uh, and I've had uh, another fellow here, in fact, Brother Greg Gerber, uh, he went to Bob Jones University, and when he first started coming here, I said, Greg, why did you choose Free Will Baptist? Because Bob Jones didn't really emphasize any particular denomination uh, as far as one over the other, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, and certainly a good university. Uh, but he said, well, one reason, because as I looked at Free Will Baptist, they're one of the few who, uh, of any denomination who have never changed what they believed in God's Word being true. And folks, to me, that's important, but the Free Will Baptist cannot save you either. It's being washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, number one, our first key truth, don't put confidence in our own righteousness. Number two, we've got to press on, keep on pressing on to know Christ deeply and experience everything God has for us. Somebody read verses uh, 8 to 14, please. Thank you, Brother Allen. Paul had just mentioned in verse 7 that all things were lost. Things he thought was important? Not at all. And he says, just so I'm clear, everything, all of those things are lost when I compare it to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Did you get what Paul's saying? Now, what did he lose? And many believe that Paul may have been part of the Sanhedrin Council. We're not sure about that. But whether or not he was, he would have been. Without a doubt, Paul was the up-and-coming Pharisee. And he lost all of that. And Paul realized it doesn't matter because I have found something far greater than all of that. And Paul emphasized what a privilege it was, what a value it was to have knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said when it comes to that, nothing else really, really matters. Because whatever he had before, Paul said that the value of knowing Jesus Christ surpassed all of those things. Knowing Christ was the most valuable thing in the life of the Apostle Paul. And so he suffered, Paul said, the loss of all things, including his place in Judaism, including his place among the Pharisees. But Paul said, let me tell you this, when I compare that, what I had before I got saved, what used to mean so much to me, Paul said that now only has the same value as dung, as rubbish. And what value, what value does that have? None. Neil Gillian was uh, a missionary in Africa, I think it was, for many, many years. He served recently uh, in the uh, World Missions Department as uh, a psychologist to help missionaries with different things. Uh, Neil Gilling is a, is a tremendous man of God. I know him personally. He's actually from Portsmouth, Ohio, originally. And I heard him speak on this verse one time. And uh, I think it's actually in the Ivory Coast where he was at. And he said, people were so poor where they ministered, they would literally go through garbage dumps. And maybe they would find a tin can or something that had a little bit of something in it, or they could find something they could use to dip water with, whatever. So he said, they'd go through it and find anything they thought they could use in any way. He said, but when they got finished with it and they threw it away, it had no value at all. I mean, they made sure that anything that had any value, any use to them, was used up and used in any way they could. And so Neil Gillen said, anytime I read this verse, I think of that. Because it, what they actually threw away themselves when they were finished, it absolutely had no value. And Paul said, when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ, what I had before my conversion has absolutely no value. Now, so Paul, and, and I'm guessing, you know, and, and I don't know for sure, I, I haven't done a study on this, maybe somebody else has, but I'm guessing Paul was probably about 30 years of age when he came to know Christ, give or take. Um, and I don't know why he would come up with that somehow, but it could be right or wrong. But he spent all of those years trying to earn his own righteousness, trying to climb that ladder to be declared righteous. How far did he get? What? 
He thought he was. But how much righteousness did he actually gain? None. He gained none. And so Paul says, rather than trying to gain my own righteousness, Paul said, my desire is to possess that righteousness that can only come through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's what he wanted. That's what he desired. And Paul realized the kind of righteousness that he needed could never be earned by his own works. Could never be earned by anything he did except for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the day the Apostle Paul was converted, he had one passion in his life. And that was to fully know Jesus Christ. And in that pursuit of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean finally knowing Christ, Paul knew he had to experience the power of Christ's resurrection in that pursuit. He had to experience the service and participating even in suffering as Jesus Christ. And when Paul said to know, that word there means to experience, but also includes the power to help us live a new life, experiencing the suffering and the affliction that comes from identifying with Jesus Christ in the midst of even a hostile world. Paul said, that's who I want to know. So here we are in chapter 3 of Philippians. Paul is now probably around 60 years old, give or take. And so Paul could say, you know what? I've been doing it for 30 years. I finally arrived. Is that what he said? What? What did he say? Ah, still working at it. So knowing Christ in his fullness was still ahead for Paul. He was looking forward to that. Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. In fact, he said, I haven't apprehended what God had apprehended me for. On that road to Damascus, Paul never forgot that. And God grabbed a hold of him for a reason, that he might become like Christ. And Paul said, I know that's why he grabbed a hold of me. And I'm still striving to reach that mark. I am still in pursuit. Do you think Paul ever forgot what happened on the Damascus road? No, he never did. He was apprehended by God, apprehended by God. So in verses 13 and 14, Paul illustrates by using the illustration of a runner in a race to show his spiritual drive. Now Paul says, I haven't reached my goal yet, but there's one thing I do, and what's that? You what now? He forgets and he looks forward. Why is it important to forget? Oh, it'll drag you down, won't it? It'll drag you down. So Paul said, I forget what's in the past. Now, by the way, folks, 
I think when we live for God, if we're going to pursue His righteousness and pursue Him to know Him fully, we've got to quit looking in the rearview mirror all the time. Look ahead, as you said, Dan. Reach forward. Forget the back. Forget the past. And so, Paul said, I don't care what it was in the past, I am not going to let it stop me from reaching and pursuing my goal. Now remember, this is a guy who's been saved for about 30 years. <laughs> a believer for 30 years. And so he's saying to the church at Philippi, to us, there's never a time, no matter how long you've run the race, there's never a time you stop pursuing spiritual growth. Somebody say amen. That's what Paul said. Let's apply it. Make knowing Christ our highest priority. That's what Paul did, and that's what we ought to do ourselves. So Paul, now by the way, Paul says he pressed on. Every time I read that verse, I think of Brother Roger Daniel. Now, I don't know if we get that song in our book, but I know it's in their hymn book when they're down at Neville. It's called Press On. And, uh, of course, Roger could sing. He could, you know, him and his wife Pat sang a lot. And he, he would lead singing. And that one hymn was called Press On. We were there several times in revival, different things. Every time we come to Press On, he'd go, Press On. Every time, Press On. Well, Paul says press on, okay? Why? We know we should press on, but how can we press on to know Christ? What can we do? Oh, study the Word. Yes, indeed. You learn more about Christ, all right? Uh, prayer. Spending time alone with God in meditation. All these things help us press on. And by the way, that also means we avoid getting caught up in the things of the world, too. All right, key truth number one, put no confidence in our flesh, our own righteousness. Number two, press on to know Christ deeply and experience everything that God has for us. Number three, follow godly examples and look forward to Christ's return. Let's read verses uh, 15 through 21, please. Thank you, Brother Jordan. Now, it's interesting here. Uh, Paul said we're to be, those who are mature, perfect, we're to have the same mind, be death-minded. In other words, Paul said we ought all be pursuing the fact to press on that we haven't reached the goal yet. And Paul said, by the way, if you think I'm wrong about that, if you don't agree with that, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will reveal that to you, that you need to continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. So, he says, I want you to be a follower of me. 
What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Was Paul perfect? Amen. In fact, in Corinthians, two different times, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the key, folks. We need mentors in our life. Someone that we can build our lives toward. I mean, again, Christ is our ultimate model, but we need someone to walk alongside of us. So we've got to, Paul says, follow me. And he says, even, you know, make, make note of those who walk the same way I do. You know, make sure you use them to help you strengthen your walk with God. Because not everybody is doing it for the right reason. Make sure they're serving God for the right reason. But in verse 20, Paul mentions our conversation. And, and I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, I forget when it was, whether it's teaching Wednesday night or Sunday school or whatever. Uh, but it, the idea is citizenship. Here in the book of uh, Philippians, Paul speaks about our dual citizenship. Now, uh, how much time have I got left, Jason? Okay. Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, he was born a Roman citizen. He didn't have to buy it or anything like he was born. And that was considered valuable in the time that he lived. Being a Roman citizen gave you a lot of benefits that other people didn't have. But Paul says our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul had a dual citizenship. But Paul said my primary citizenship is, is in heaven. Now, Paul knew that being a Roman had benefits. He also knows that being a citizen of heaven has benefits. Which do you think Paul believed had better benefits? Ah, citizen of heaven. Because Paul says, one of these days, we're looking for our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And one of these days, he's going to change. He didn't say your vile body. He said our vile body. Notice this. Like unto his glorious body. Folks, understand. We are, we are in the world but we're not of the world. We're simply pilgrims passing through. And your citizenship, our citizenship in heaven, is more valuable, has more benefits than even being a citizen of the United States of America. Let's stand together. Next week, chapter 4. Father, thank you today for your word today. And Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and help us, God, to press on daily to the mark of the high calling of the prize in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God.